erosion. Chapter 1. The Opposition is Outnumbered by God. Anonymous Drunk. murdered all right said ralph he shook his head and rubbed his bald spot he laughed as if he didn't mean it to be funny but the strangeness of it left no other reaction but laughter just like the others he picked up his sandwich sipped his coffee perfect wound match only a coroner could bring up a murder and an autopsy during lunch carlton thought he stared at his friend expecting more ralph looked at him and shrugged to show there was nothing else to say Behind him, a young couple talked of the weather, how it had been raining 34 days straight. The woman complained that her garden was never going to grow anything that summer. Carlton didn't recognize them from their voices, but he was sure he knew them, or their parents at the very least. It didn't matter where they lived, high up in the mountains or in the canyon, every place in a 20-mile radius was soaked. It occurred to Carlton that the farmers were going to lose everything that year. No matter when the rain ended, Autumn would yield no crop. What's that make now? asked Jerry Fallon, Carlton's nephew and an officer under his command. He was sitting across from him, next to Ralph. Three? Four, Mayor Rogers said. Right, Carl? Walt Rogers, who sat just beside Carlton, was one of the most uncomfortable seat companions he had ever met. It's three. Real sick, this guy, Ralph said. The mayor reached across his plate for the toast. The mayor reached back across for forgotten butter, spilling a little of Carlton's coffee. Do you have to do that, Carlton said, not meaning to snap. Do what? Paul looked like a child trying to cover for some wrong by feigning ignorance. Reach across like that, you're spilling my coffee. Carlton mopped up the spill with a napkin, balled it, and then threw it into an empty butter dish. For a mayor, you got some bad table manners. Sorry, Carl. Paul said. Geez, I'm sorry for that. I didn't mean to spill your coffee. I mean, we're friends here. I'm sorry about that. Forget it, Carlton said. He turned back to Ralph's conversation, which was slightly less disturbing than Paul's behavior. What was that you were saying? I was just saying that this is the most grisly death I've seen in the county to date. Ralph took a moment to swallow before pointing with his half-eaten sandwich, mayo dripping onto his plate. Of course, not including vehicle accidents. They can get pretty messy, too. Guts all over the place and stuff. He laughed. Carlton checked Ralph's eyes for a sign that he'd been smoking pot. Dilated pupils and unfocused glassiness. What? Ralph asked defensively when he caught Carlton's stare. Just checking, Carlton said, finding nothing wrong except Ralph's usual twisted sense of humor. I think he's been in the morgue too long, Paul said, missing the exchange entirely. Even if he did catch what happened, the mayor was probably too thick to know what it meant. Gloria strayed over to Phil Coffee's. How's everything, boys? She asked, smiling and leaning far into Jerry's space. The two flirted all the time, despite both knowing the other spouse socially. I got this ache in my neck, Gloria. Got anything for that? Jerry, of course, was shameless about the exchanges they shared. I got magic fingers, Jer. I'll work the pain right out. She touched him with her free hand. You got pepper? Paul asked, oblivious as usual. 
Carlton's theory was that ignorance for the mayor kept him out of trouble and translated into more votes in Canyon Park. There's none on the table, no salt neither. Gloria huffed and tilted her head. I'm going to kill that kid, she said through gritted teeth. He's supposed to have them filled and set by now. Who's that, Jerry asked. Jimmy. Yeah, that redskin's about as useless here as he was in Mac's garage. Come on, Jerry, Ralph said. Keep it to yourself. He had little tolerance for the threat of bigotry that ran through the town. Being former hippie, come to Canyon Park when it was still bustling with business. Big enough for the need for a local mortician and coroner, but small enough for him to drop out, as he used to say. Gloria walked off, saying she'd get the salt and pepper. Carlton was no lover of the Oneida who lived on the reservations just outside of town. In fact, he cared little about them, as long as they kept out of trouble, but it bothered him the way Jerry always spoke so hatefully about them. He blamed Jerry's folks for that. They always went on about how the Indians should be shipped off somewhere else. Off the good land they were given for their reservation between the town and the farms across the White River. According to some in town, it was good farmland gone to waste. Others were ambivalent, and some, like Ralph, appreciated the fact that those few Oneida were able to establish some semblance of life. Those liberal-minded folks barely balanced the rest. For the most part, the left-leaning types were immigrants to Canyon Park from larger places far away, like New York City or Buffalo. Jerry, Carlton said, motioning with his outstretched hand for his nephew to lower his tone and attitude. Sorry, Uncle Carl, Jerry shrugged. But you know. Carlton made a face and turned to Ralph, leaving the admonition of his nephew to rest. Most of the cops were the same as Jerry, but Carlton didn't like it hanging out there so obvious like that, and made for bad decisions when they had to deal with the Oneida off-reservation. He didn't need any more heat for his little police department, coming down from the county court DA. Gloria returned with the glass shakers and dropped them off. She brushed close to Jerry as she swayed to the front door to greet Tom and Sally Reed with their kids, shaking water onto the floor like puppies. Under them, a dark blue puddle grew on the blue carpet. It was everywhere, the water. You couldn't escape it, like the feeling for the Oneida or the rust in the steel structures around town. It was impossible to turn away from it. You know, this is the first serial killer in the history of Canyon Park, Mayor Rogers said. Carlton sensed he was almost proud of the fact, as if he were contemplating the tourist angle already. There was a bit of P.T. Barnum in the mayor. What do you think we should do, Carlton? Carlton didn't know what he meant. Was it... Should we hold a press conference and erect a museum? Or was it, save my ass again, Carl? Being that the last victim was Ann Lalo, the details were going to be hard to hide from the good citizens of Canyon Park. There'd be too many people asking questions, especially if it was a closed casket funeral. I think we'll try to keep it under our hats as long as we can, Carlton said. The mayor shook pepper on his sandwich as he spoke, spilling more on the table than the target. Not sure this time, Carl. I have the Lalos to think about, he said, turning on his air of self-importance. You know what kind of squall will be raised if they find out we've been hiding, that we know a serial killer's out there? Carlton glanced outside. The rain beat down hard. No worse than the storm we've been having so far, he said. I want to keep it quiet for a few more days, just until Mark Lalo gets here. The mayor put on his most concerned expression the very same one that got him elected over the Reverend Newton Wells. Paul just happened to seem more sympathetic to the town's problems, 
He seemed as sensitive to the alternate day trash collection issue as child care subsidies for the factory workers. Just get him soon, he said, so we can get back to normal. Mark Lalo's coming here, Jerry asked? That's great. I haven't seen him in years. Man, that son of a bitch was some receiver back in the day. He was the best, the mayor said. It was debatable whether he had actually watched an entire high school game in his life. He was too busy glad-handling to pay attention. He sure knows how to jump on the bandwagon when there's money involved, Carlton thought. That kid became a lawyer, right? Ralph asked. Yeah, Jerry said with a mouthful of food. He did. Real good one, too. Makes lots of money. Could you uh, swallow before you talk, Jerry? Mayor Rogers said. It's rude to talk with your mouth full. Carlton kept his mouth shut. Too tired of pointing out the mayor's bad manners and too engrossed in thought about how Mark was going to react to the news his Aunt Anne's necks was sliced clean open. He looked through the window to the design the rain made on the glass as it splashed and dripped. This was a bad situation getting worse. The first two victims were related to the Lalos by employment, easy when the family owned more than half the town. They had even more when Canyon Park was burgeoning with industry and people flocking to find work along the surrounding rivers and lakes. The music of his cell phone ringing broke Carlton's thoughts. He checked. His wife was calling again from home. Excuse me, he said, getting up to find a private place. The men's room seemed the safest bet. Inside, among the urinals and broken stalls, his voice sounded loud and obvious. Hello, he said to the small metal receiver. His new phone was much smaller than the last one, which was so old a phone company said they couldn't renew his contract unless he upgraded. Sounded like a load of crap from some corporation, but he felt too much like an old dinosaur, arguing with the operator who said his name was Robert but sounded more like an Abdul. Carlton? Carlton? Joyce's voice was yelling at the receiver. Carlton? Hello? Hello, Joyce. Oh, hi. There was a pause. It was like that at least once a day. Joyce called to check up with nothing to tell him. She was bored at home or concerned about something that she had to share, but was reluctant to talk about unless he asked. The routine was tiring, but he kept it up anyway for her sake. I was just thinking, she finally said. Thinking about what, Joycey? He called the Joyce since they'd met. He a young cadet in Syracuse and she a college sophomore. They'd hang out in the same bars. After a year or two, she left school to join him in idyllic Canyon Park. Can you stop by to see Jason today? She asked the same thing twice a week. Sure, bring flowers? No, she said, hesitating before going on. No, I'll send the flowers tomorrow. I think he wants you to come by today. How does she know what he wants, he thought. Aloud, he said. Yeah, okay, that sounds good. Do you think that's crazy? What do you mean? He knew what she meant. That I can feel that he needs you today. He needs you. I know when he wants you to visit somehow. No. What are you doing, Carlton? I'm meeting with Paul and Ralph at the diner. Having lunch? Yes, we're having lunch. Good. Is Ralph there? He rolled his eyes. She listened to less than half of what he said. A sudden urge to hang up overcame him, along with a bit of pressure in the corner of his jaw that he worked out by grinding his teeth. Tell him that Sarah asked about him yesterday. Tell him that for her. I will. Is Jerry there? That was enough. Joycey, I gotta go now. I have the boys waiting for me. They're, we're talking about business. Fine, she said. He'd have to face her disappointment, anger, or silent indignation later. Have a good day, Joycey. She probably said you too, 
but all he heard was two and an electric click. He knew she was crying again. He checked the mirror. His face was red and blotchy, a sure sign that he'd been talking to Joyce. He tried to breathe deep and slow like Ralph taught him to do when the pressure rose and the urge overcame him to say, fuck it all and head to the park park for a drink. When he got back to the seat, Ralph and Jerry were arguing again. They quieted when Carlton reached the table, so he let it go and didn't get in between them again. They were always fighting about something. He decided right there to leave. He had work to do. I have to go, Carlton announced, then slid out of the booth. He counted out his share of the bill. Listen, Jerry, go out to the farmers off County Road 39 and make sure they know they have to listen to the radio in case we need to evacuate them. If this rain gets any worse, we'll have floods all across the county and no one will be able to get to them. Sure thing, where'll you be? I'm going to check on some things. Get me on the radio with the cell. Carlton threw his hat on and then straightened his coat. Maybe I can dig up some info on the places where these people were killed. Good man, the mayor said, over a fork full of fries. Jerry, poke around out there. Maybe they seen or heard something new around, new hire or something. What do you mean, Jerry asked. I don't know. New farmhand or something? Guy who looks shifty, strange? Dig around, ask some questions. Jerry nodded. Sure thing. Carlton turned to leave. Again, the big window, attacked by rain, drew his attention. Make sure those families have their radios tuned on. Tuned to WCAN. If this rain gets any bigger, the White River might run over. You said that already. I'll do it, I promise, right after lunch. That drew Paul's attention from his fries. You think the White River will run over? What did Lenny say? Lenny, the weatherman from the largest town with a local television station in Syracuse, was helping them track the storm. He was just as confused as everyone else. He said it was a stalled system, Colin said. Whatever that means, Ralph said. You know. He looked anxious to Colton, but getting more to say. It means if this doesn't unstall, then we could have some washouts along the White River, and those farmers will be stuck over there between the mountains and the river with no way out. So you go out there and knock up some doors, all right? He pointed to Jerry, who saluted back to him with a mocking smile. Carlton counted out his share and made his way to the door. Someone tapped him on the shoulder as he stood inside the damp vestibule, straightening his collar to brave the rain again. We gotta talk, Carl, Ralph said. He had followed Carlton out. Man, what's going on here? Carlton looked sideways at his old friend. I'm not gonna say it right out, but something in the connection to these people. And now with Mark coming here? He felt his face go red again and his jaw tightened. He didn't like where Ralph was taking this. Not only was it dangerous, it was inappropriate. Listen, I am not going to rehash all those old memories to feed your conspiracy theory, alright? I know what happened, but I'm past it. The old man's dead now, so forget it. You think I'm up there on my office on 4th and Jefferson just smoking pot, cutting open bodies like a mad scientist, but I know what I'm talking about, Carlton. Don't ignore it. I don't know what the connection between all these people is yet, Carlton continued. He honestly didn't mean to insult his friend. I don't want to dig up old ghosts. This is here and now. It's probably some psycho nut, a drifter, a hired hand. I know. Ralph began to sway side to side. A nervous habit. Carlton reached out to his shoulder to stop him as usual, calming his friend. That all ended when the old man died, Carlton said in a lower voice, trying to calm both himself and Ralph. It's gone, and there's nothing you or I can do about it. I'm sorry, too, but this is not the same, not even close. Ralph shook his head. You know I'm on your side, Carl. I'm trying to help the case. I just think that you should keep an open mind. 
For you, I will. He removed his hand from Ralph's shoulder. I'm going to see Francine Miller. She may be able to dig up something I can use. I'll keep my mind open, or expanded, Carlton said, drawing out the last word. It was how people like Ralph and his friends would have talked years ago when they were discussing their drugs. It would be a first for you. Ralph laughed and patted him on the shoulder. I'll see you later, he said, and walked back into the diner. Carlton shifted his hat and watched Ralph walk away. Some things are better left alone, he thought as he turned to go. He walked out into the rain of his town, his town, the town Carlton had been in for more than 30 years. He supposed that if he surveyed those years, he'd conclude that he should never have stepped one foot in this sham called Canyon Park. At times, he found himself looking over the small shops and homes in some quiet moment when the specters didn't howl in his head so loud, and he'd sigh to himself, or God, with some apparition that looked over his life in judgment. The hell was the question? That was too complicated to figure out. There were a million questions, but the same answer was always, I just don't know. When he first came to Canyon Park, he was a young man, just barely out of the police academy in Syracuse. He still trained Canyon Park Police at the New York State Police Academy in Syracuse then. It made Canyon Park an unofficial satellite of the Syracuse Police. Guys sometimes went back there to visit old Academy members. It was only an hour away or so to the city, anyway, to get speed. Although Carton never went back there to visit unless it was necessary, he still felt a twinge of nostalgia for that place. His first month on the job in Canyon Park wasn't even finished when they asked him to do the thing that haunted him for his entire life. It's what made him immediately transform from a rookie to a jaded old cop when he was done. Now, everyone who was involved was either dead or retired. Only Ralph Colton and his captain, Mike Gardner, were involved in the whole scandal. It would have been bigger news if Colton hadn't helped cover it up old man Lalo. That's what Ralph didn't understand. Carlton did what he did because he was new on the force. He was told it was the way things were taken care of, and he was too green, too young, and needed a job too much to argue. Now, he'd have more guts. He'd have helped that poor bastard put his father away. But Carlton's chance to make everything right was long past. A couple of Oneida men walked by him out of the rain, and into the diner. They looked like they were out at the factories all night and just got off their shift. Their clothes were smudged with grease and they smelled like tire rubber. He could imagine the comments from his nephew's mouth as the Oneida sat down to a booth across from his friends still finishing their breakfast. Thirty or so years later and things hadn't changed around Canyon Park. It may have been different elsewhere with the new casinos and bingo halls going up all over the larger reservations, but this place was untouched by time. Except for the state-enforced closings of the Indian boarding schools, it was all status quo. The Lalos controlled everything, the people of Canyon Park bought their products, and the Indians worked in their factories. There was a car out on the road by his house that someone had abandoned near the fields. No one ever claimed it, and because it never went anywhere, never was oiled or washed, it rusted. Metal and paint flaked off the body. The tires lost air and the windows were smashed. It was a hull, 
no longer useful to its original purpose, because it never moved or worked like it was supposed to anymore. That was Canyon Park, rusting in its place, no longer very useful. If the old industrial town had anything left, it was merely the sentiment of dented metal and brick dust, a history no longer supported by modern times. No high building blocked the view of the mountain ranges that gave the stout, defeated town the name Canyon Park. Beyond the hazy mountains was a gray bulk, a slate of concrete in the air. Each morning he woke to find that the storm had thickened and personally imposed more of its weight down on him. by Lon S. Cohen. To find out more, please visit www.coenside.blogspot.com. This patio book is a production of Zilco Studios. <laughs> this production is a production. <laughs> okay.